to PRN. Pause, renew, next. A podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, I'm so excited that you're joining me today for part two of our conversation about raising teens. If you missed last week's episode, I highly suggest you go back and check out my conversation with Dr. Jackie Perry, all about teenage girls. We talked about development, we talked about social issues, we talked about mental health challenges, and about parenting teen girls. And in today's episode, we're talking all about teen guys. I invited my colleague and friend, licensed clinical mental health counselor, Taylor Hayden, to come on the podcast and talk about guys. Taylor has a long history of working with teens, both in counseling and also in youth ministry. He knows them in and out, and I thought he would bring great perspective to our conversation. So whether you're raising a teenager yourself, whether you are a teen, or whether you just happen to know a teenager in your life, today's conversation is going to be really, really helpful and encouraging. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Well, Taylor, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you. Would you like to share a little bit about yourself and your family and your job? Anything you want to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. Jenny, thank you so much for having me on today. Um, Yeah, so my name is Taylor Hayden. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor here in Hickory, North Carolina. Uh, I work for Cornerstone Counseling Center. I work primarily with adolescents and families uh, focusing on guys uh, and guy issues, uh, but I also do ADHD testing for us as well. Um, I do some marital counseling uh, and uh, also manage all of our IT fun stuff <laughs> that we have here at the office. So yeah, I kind of get nerdy both in the brain and in the computer world, but but I like it. Uh, outside of work, I love to do outdoorsy type stuff. We love going hiking, uh, going fishing. I love fly fishing. Um, I also enjoy playing guitar and, and mostly just hanging out with my wife and t- two daughters. We have uh, a little two and a half year old, well, almost two and a half. Waverly's almost two and a half, and she is all two and a half year old, and I love her for it. <laughs> and um, and then Adelaide is now she'll be four months um, later this week. So um, so we've got those two little girls, and Rebecca and I will be married for eleven years on the tenth this month so in just a couple days so yeah happily married enjoy being a dad this has been a really cool adventure now 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 when I counsel people I feel like I have a different um, sense of empathy and sympathy (laughs) for people who are going through difficult times so um, so yeah I I love what I do I grew up in a big family I'm the oldest of eight kids Um, I have three siblings that were adopted from Costa Rica and uh, Mama Hayden was a saint, or is a saint, I guess I should say, because she homeschooled all of us all the way up through till till college, um, and we turned out somewhat normal, um, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that's that's kind of who I am. We still stay connected. Uh, still talk to my dad, mom, and, and brothers and sisters all the time, and uh, go to church, help lead youth group at church, and do do lots of stuff. Stay busy is essentially what it is. So that's. That's kind of who I am. Yeah. And you do a great job at the IT stuff, and we're thankful for you at work, by the way. (laughs) And part of the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast, even though I know you're raising two little girls who are adorable (laughs) and not teenage boys, like you haven't raised teenage boys, 
is because you do have a great history with them and an empathy. And listen, from one counselor to another, I thought I was really awesome at hanging out with teenagers. And then I now I have teenagers. <clears throat> it's different. <laughs> it's a different world. And I'm yeah. sitting with my teenage clients now and I'm thinking like, oh no, I know what their parents are thinking. Like, I can't just be the cool, objective person anymore like I used to be. Now I can see both sides of it. And there are some benefits to that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really wanted to have you on because I know you work primarily with guys. And even before you were a counselor, you worked a lot with teenagers. Yeah. Can you can you share about um, what makes you love teenagers so much and some of your history of working with them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of my history of getting into working with uh, with dudes and, and in counseling in general is I, I started off... Um, Really, it was when I was about uh, 16 years old. I was actually stacking chairs at the church I worked for. And our our children's pastor came up and tapped me on the shoulder and was like, hey, you want to work in children's ministry? And I was like, what? <laughs> I have no clue who this guy is. And he taps me on the shoulder and just says, hey, I, I want you to come and work with me because you seem like a really hard worker. He, he gave me keys to access our church to get in and essentially said, come and, come and help, come and do ministry. And... Uh, at first I was, I thought it was kind of weird that somebody did that, but then I got into it and I found this passion for doing ministry with, with kids and, uh, I loved it. And, and there was something about somebody lighting that fire inside of me at that early age that really stuck with me and that I, that I really enjoyed. Um, when I was working with, with families and children's ministry, uh, we, we, I worked at Reston Bible Church. So I'm originally from right outside of Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, Reston Bible Church is where I was at. And we had three to 400 kids a weekend coming through, and, and I was in charge of essentially helping you know the zero to sixth graders, um, kind of organizing all of that. And I loved it, but what I found was that I wasn't getting one-on-one time with people and families that I wanted. Like I really enjoyed the creativity, the energy of adolescents and kids, um, but I wasn't getting one-on-one time with people. So I ended up going from there um, to, I got a degree in psychology, um, and came back and said, I was never going to work with, uh, middle school or high schoolers. And God opened up an opportunity for me to be an area director for young life. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, I guess I'm just following after what, what God wants me to do. And it turned out to be a great opportunity for me. So, um, I started working with, um, high schoolers in young life. I really enjoyed what I did, but I still, I, because I was an area director, I had a committee that I was in charge of, uh, fundraising and all the other stuff. And I just get it kind of bogged down with, with not being able to have that one-on-one ministry and focus on people that I wanted. So I left from there and after not being able to work with children one-on-one and then high schoolers one-on-one, I decided, you know, let's try something different. And I worked with monkeys for a year. Um, and that was an interesting little twist. I worked at uh, the National Institute of Health and Child Development in, in Maryland, and we basically did psychological testing for object permanence on rhesus and capuchin macaques, so little monkeys. Um, really enjoyed our time there, uh, or my time there. They did some really cool research there. Didn't harm any monkeys or anything like that. We just kind of like fed them applesauce on their favorite toys uh, and then hit them to see if they could find them. But uh, so really enjoyed that, but still didn't get one on one time with people that I wanted, obviously, and went back into to school for uh, counseling and just found this passion for working with adolescents and youth. It's kind of my journey to get here. 
And I have loved it. Like I, at first I wasn't sure exactly, you know, I think as a counselor, you get into, you get into your degree program and you're like, I just want to do counseling. But then you start counseling and you're like, I like this counseling and not that counseling. Right. And um, so for me, the counseling that I found that I really loved and enjoyed was working with youth and working with families. I love the creativity, especially it will focus kind of on, on guys. Cause that's, that's my primary um, demographic I work with. Uh, but I love the creativity that they have. I, I love almost the openness about I'm going to make mistakes that they have as well. Cause it's like, yeah, I'm going to make bad decisions. So let's keep making decisions anyways. Right. You know, let's keep on moving forward. Uh, I love their energy, their creativity again, but like uh, their, um, what uh, I call it kind of like internal cartography, like they're mapping out their internal world uh, for the first time. It's, it's as if they hit that 11 to 12 year old range and they discover, Oh, I'm a self, I'm a person. Right. And, and now I have to figure out what kind of person am I? So they're trying on different hats. They're trying out different clothing. They're trying to fit into certain groups and in certain relationships. And, and so I love watching that kind of exploration uh, of them going from these people who don't really recognize themselves as someone different than mom and dad's son to I am my own person and kind of walking that out. And it is cool to have that front row seat to watch these young guys just develop and to discover, hey, this is who God has created me to be. This is what gives my life meaning. This is what gives me purpose. And this is really, really valuable to me. So, so that's what I love working with. And that's what I love spending, why I love spending time with guys. That's awesome. And you're good at it. You're really good at it. They love it. <laughs> so as a counselor, you know, I work primarily with women. So a completely different population. What are some of the teen guys coming into counseling for these days? Like, what are some of the primary issues that you deal with or some of the general struggles you hear about on a regular basis? Yeah. Yeah. So I think in many ways, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, and I like to encourage parents with that thought as well. Like parents have been teenagers, right? And so they know a lot of those similar struggles. Maybe, maybe we have technology nowadays that's a little bit different than what they had growing up. But still the pursuit of identity and autonomy and, um, and struggling with all these new emotions and stuff that their their brains are coming up with, all that kind of stuff. I think those are those are things that we're struggling with. I, I see a lot of ADHD um, in, in my counseling practice. Um, it's just something I have a heart for. I'm pretty positive I have ADHD as well. Um, and so that makes it even more relatable. Um, uh, so I, I work a lot with that anxiety, depression. Grief and loss and trauma, those are other ones that I deal with uh, as well. Those are hard, especially I, I found, you know, and I think, you know, this like as a counselor, there's some, there's some times where it's really hard to leave things at the office and some really heavy things that you deal with. And I think the walking with a, a young guy through trauma, that one sometimes is really hard just to leave behind because you just, I want to jump in and rescue, but I know that like, Maybe in this time, I'm just supposed to be there alongside them in the muck and the mire. Um, so I, I work a lot with those things. Um, purpose in life uh, and even like existential dilemmas. I enjoy working with that with guys like, hey, what are we really doing here? What's life really about? Is there anything bigger you're living for? Those kinds of things. Um, 
after after COVID recently, I've seen a lot more OCD. I don't know if you've seen that in your practice. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but the obsessive compulsive or obsessive compulsive personality disorder, you know, just kind of really focusing, especially on the germ side of things, it's really kind of being hyper vigilant on that stuff. Um, obviously, family relationships is a big one. You know, why why can't I get along with mom and dad? Why can't you know Junior get along with with mom and dad? those types of things, um, romantic relationships. Uh, and then finally, I guess another one that I do see a lot of is addictions. Um, recently there's been a lot of vaping. Um, a lot of guys that have found turned to vaping for dealing with their anxiety or their stress or, or maybe as a way to self-medicate for things like ADHD or depression. And then, uh, even like pornography and things along those lines, addictions to pornography and those, those things. So, that, that's kind of what I see uh, a lot of. And I think a lot of those things boil down to, to really two main questions I think most guys are asking themselves during this time, which is, you know, who am I and who are they, right? Who is everybody else outside of me? And so I, I think those are the struggles that I, I see the most of. And I, I kind of, especially, you know, as a Christian, when I see guys come in and I, we're able to tap into that spiritual side of things. I really enjoy that because as we're working through this, we, we have this higher calling. We have this thing outside of ourselves that we're, we're living for, that we're maybe even accountable to um, these standards for life. And I think it's uh, John Calvin says it in his um, Institutes of Religion. He says that no man can properly survey himself without first turning his thoughts towards the God in whom he lives and moves. And I think it's a really cool, you know, kind of encouraging moment for me when, when I'm working with those clients who do have something greater than themselves, who do have a relationship with God that they're, that they're working on. Uh, when we can tap into that and we can say, well, let's pursue God and let's discover who you are in the process. I really, I've really enjoyed you know, kind of that side of things. And that's part of the reason I, I really do enjoy working for uh, an organization that, that is Christian in its its focus or that, that has that kind of, I have that support from, you know, my staff or, or the people I work with. Amen. Me too. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I talked with Jackie on a previous podcast and we talked a lot about development. And I know some of that is the same between girls and guys. Some may be a little different. But can you just talk a little bit about what's happening developmentally for guys during the teen years? Um, and again, this podcast is for parents, but it's really for anybody who hangs out with teenagers, which is most of the world. It is a little bit of an enigma. Like you have a kid, they seem normal. All of a sudden yeah. they're different. And then they come out a, a full grown adult. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of changes that happen <laughs> during that time, which I think confound people who don't hang out with teenagers a lot. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening in there? Like yeah. what's changing with their thinking, their outlook, their brains, their maybe not all about their bodies, but there's a lot going on there. Yeah, <laughs> there is a lot. Testosterone, right? For guys. I mean, it's, it's huge. It, it radically changes the way that the brain works. Um, and so, so neurologically, uh, and I think this is true for guys as well as girls, but the brain is developing from back to front and you can kind of think about it as developing starting in the emotion center of the brain and then slowly working its way towards that prefrontal cortex which is the logic reasoning paying attention to things 
learning from my mistakes and communicating using words, right? Those are all the prefrontal cortex. That part of the brain actually doesn't finish until 25. Uh (laughs) So I had a professor who one time said, this is uh, Dr. Tate Cockrell from Southeastern Seminary. He said, uh, he said, I imagine all people from 11 to 25 with this orange construction cone on their head that just has a sign that says under construction. And, <laughs> and I love that. I think that's a really good kind of picture and, and maybe a way for us to be, um, I don't know, sympathetic or um, empathetic towards what's going on inside of their brain. So for, for guys you know, their, their perspective is narrowing on this world. They're trying to find, you know, their meaning and their purpose. Why am I here? Um, I've got all these emotions. I have this testosterone, this new drive. And so it's kind of bringing me to want to be in relationships with other people or to, to be curious and explore or to take risks, um, especially risks um, that, that might not well, I'm not going to see the outcome and the consequences of it because that prefrontal cortex not developed. So I'm going to take risks and you're going to ask me, why did you do that? And my answer is going to be, I don't know. And it's genuinely going to be, I don't know, right? Because that part of the brain is just not there. Um, Or or why did you ask that person out? Or why did you, you know, go and look at that thing online? Or why did you play video games for 12 hours straight today? And it's, I don't know. It's like, well, actually you're you're right you really don't know you 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 just don't have that type of reasoning and logic there right um and so so i guess from a neurological perspective that's that's kind of one of the big things i see going on is they're just developing that uh what dan siegel calls that upstairs part of the brain right they're they're making it more livable they're trying to develop these tools and these new habits of thinking that will allow us to be successful in the world, right? And along the way, there's going to be lots of failure, but I mean, failure is failure is a, a great motivator, but it's also a great tool for learning. Um, I, I heard the other day, I was listening to, I think it was, um, I want to say it was a guy named Russ Harris um, in his book called Competence Gap. He said, if you want to be successful in life, and he might've been quoting somebody else. He said, if you want to be really successful in life, double your rate of failure. Right. So that you try out new things and you learn from it because failure is where you learn the most. And so there's a lot of um, and I don't like calling them failures in my office. (laughs) Right. The guys aren't failures. Their decisions might not be the best things, but um, I call them setbacks. But I tell people have have lots of setbacks. Right. Like make your destination somewhere that's concrete, you know, somewhere that you're going after that's worthwhile and valuable to you. And along the way, if you get a flat tire, change it. Right? It doesn't mean you've changed your destination. You've just had a little bit of a setback. Um, and so I like to help them kind of engage that that type of thinking there. So uh, another area, and we kind of hit on this a little bit, who am I? And so identity versus role diffusion is that counseling term that, that kind of comes up there from like a psychological perspective. It, again, it's who am I, but I don't know how to face the responsibilities of life because mom and dad have always been there. Um, and usually at this point, what I, what I like to do is I like to give mom and dad or mom or dad and the teen guy, this metaphor. And I, I take my hands and I kind of like, I'm grabbing a steering wheel at 12 and at six. And I say, you know, up until this point, mom and dad have been the 12 o'clock hand. 
shielding you from all the responsibilities of the world that are kind of raining down on top of you. And, uh, you know, Junior, you're the six o'clock hand. So you've been, you've been the beneficiary of their umbrella where they've taken care of the responsibilities of life. And once you hit these teenage years, you begin to rotate. You begin to rotate both hands and you begin this dance back and forth of building trust and moving forward then having setbacks and moving back. Uh, and your goal is to go from this parent to child relationship where mom and dad are at that 12 o'clock over top of you, shielding you from the responsibilities of life to this nine to three relationship, which is an adult to adult relationship where mom and dad are still allowed to be the wise sage in your life. You know, they're allowed to offer you the wisdom of life, um, but they're no longer shielding you from the responsibilities. And Junior, your role is to, if you do this successfully, you've built enough trust up with them where they will allow you to kind of maybe even have sway on their life. You can offer opinions and you can offer thoughts and you can relate to them in a way that is adult to adult where they see you as somebody who not just has something to say, but as trustworthy and respectable instead of just respectful. Um, and so that's that kind of dance that's going on right now. And, and, you know, there are two ways to really get to this adult to adult relationship. And that is um, one, you, you do this in a really healthy, trusting relationship that understands that there's going to be failure and you kind of do the dance back and forth and you recognize this is normal that we're just kind of slowly moving our hands down to those places to be adult to adult. Or, you know, I say, you know, junior, you can kind of stiff arm mom and dad and you push them out of your life and say, I'm just going to grow up to be whoever I want to be. And I'm going to ignore this godly wisdom. I'm going to ignore these people that have been put in my life. I'm going to ignore, you know, what they have to say and maybe their discipline. Um, and I'm going to kind of do this on my own. And the issue that, happens with that one though is that you get to this bridge into adulthood um where you're ready to cross you're, you've done the work you're, now you're ready to become a mature adult and you you stiff arm your parents so much that you leave them on the other side and you lose that relationship with them so you know down the road whether it's the you know had i'd appreciate a little bit of financial help for college or i'm having trouble with my car you know, mom or dad, could you help me out? Could you teach me how to do that? You don't have that relationship because you've, you've stiff-armed them to that place of adulthood. So now you're an adult, but you're not relating to them in that relationship. There's, there's no real relationship there. Which takes us into themes of attachment. I'm hoping yeah. to talk about that later this year on the podcast as well, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to know, in what ways do you try to equip parents? to help meet their needs and to help come alongside because you know what? <laughs> I'm being vulnerable. There's a reason why I didn't talk on this podcast about raising teens because I'm in the thick of it. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to let some other professionals talk about this right now who are not, mm. they don't have their skin in the game because Jackie's already done. You haven't hit it yet. <laughs> um, it's so beautiful. It's like a beautiful process to watch your child be, become who they are you know, really become who they are. And you can see, you'll even see in Waverly and Adelaide, like themes that are going to continue and you'll see them yeah. like get bigger and bigger as they blossom or change just a little bit, but you'll be like, oh, that's that same face she had when she was six months old, <laughs> but they're, they become, um, what's the word? 
Like when they're three, they say, I want to do it all myself. Yep. When they're a teenager, they act that out. Yeah. A bit. So it be, yeah. it becomes an interesting dance. Like how can I still have that, mm. that part in your life? I see that you're struggling. How can I come alongside you in a way that you're not going to push me away? Right. And so in my office, I see that quite often. Parents see that there's a struggle and they're bringing their kids to counseling because they don't know what to do because their child doesn't like either they're not equipped and they don't know what the mental health issue is or because their child is asking to speak to someone else. Mm. So how do you come alongside them and encourage them in that way? Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think there's some really interesting kind of points there. Uh, I love the what you said, that face in just a different way, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it is funny. Like we have the Google photos and all this awesome technology now where we can look back and we can see, like we did that just the other day. We're looking back at Waverly's like six month pictures. And I'm like, she does that same thing. She has that eyebrow that just cocks up or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm very uh, I'm excited and trepidatious might be the word about those days when she does reach those teenage years and everything, but, um, but also excited. I think, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I'll say, Daniel Amen said this in his book, it was actually um, ADD and intimate relationships was the name of the book. Um, but he, he has a chapter or two on parenting and he said this, and I thought this was really interesting. He said, when he's talking about discipline, he says, if you have a great relationship with your child, almost any form of discipline will work. And I was like, wow, I don't know. I don't know that there's enough research that I could say that that's 100% true, right? And, and psychology is a soft science. So we can't really say most of our stuff is 100% true. Barring but, devel- bleh, developmental issues and ODD and outliers and all that kind of stuff. Yes. yes I think that right. there's, that's really true. Yeah. I think, I, I think there's something about that, right? And, uh, and, and even with the neurological conditions, great relationships change how you interact with them. That's and so right. I, I think the focus there is hundred percent on point is, is relationship. Maybe attachment would even be a better way to think about it. Uh, attachment, attunement to your child. So relationships are, are obviously changing. You can, you know, we're in that kind of the, the, the wheel of change going from parent and child to adult to adult, you know, we're, we're, we're in that thing. And, and I do, call, I call it the second hardest transition in life to, to my parents and my teens. I say the first hardest one is getting married. Um, but the second hardest transition, as far as I've seen it, and maybe parenting, I could probably put that up there as well. But, um, but that's kind of included in this is just going from that parent child relationship to adult to adult relationship. It's so difficult to, to navigate all of that. And usually, I think starting off this time, you know, about 11, 12 years old, usually, parents' roles change from a didactic teacher, right? When, when you're disciplining kids, and, and the root word of, of discipline is disciple, right? Which means to teach. And so you go from this uh, disciple-type relationship early on, where you're teaching a lot, and you're essentially, I, I talk to parents as downloading important life lessons to your kids. You're, you're downloading your wisdom into them with the hopes that they won't turn out to be you. Maybe they'll scaffold off of you and they'll take the best. We hope that they take the best parts of ourselves. You know, I hope that my daughters take the best part of me and the best part of Rebecca and they just kind of build off of that. Um, and so I'm trying to download as much as I can 
now. Then when they hit that 11 to 12 year old range, my role is going to change. And I think most, most parents' roles change from the teacher who's downloading these lessons to the person who's sitting next to um, their child who's on a computer and you're trying to help them create maybe shortcuts on the desktop to those wisdom lessons, right? And you're saying, hey, you went through this today. Huh, interesting. Instead of me teaching you a lesson, I'm going to see if I can help you recall that lesson that I downloaded to you a while ago. It's in your downloads folder. I know it's there somewhere. Can we drag that out and can we kind of pull that up to your consciousness, your conscious level, your subconscious? And can we take it out of that folder and can we kind of put it here to create these shortcuts so that you can access this a little bit easier next time? Um, I like to create that type of maybe perspective um, because I, I think I think the change is almost so dramatic for for everybody, right? For the kid, it's dramatic because it's like, stop teaching me like that. Stop. I don't want you to teach me like that. I don't want you to be my teacher. I've got enough adults that talk to me all the time. I don't need that right now. Um, and the parents like, whoa, 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 whoa. We just had a happy meal yesterday. You know, <laughs> you know what is this? <laughs> what is, what's going on here and i think both parties kind of get taken off guard by this development um neurologically and, and this desire for autonomy um which can be kind of abrasive at first but we want to kind of help to, to bridge that gap by saying okay we've switched from the me downloading lessons to you to me helping you find those lessons and kind of bring them up as parents we we always want our kids to be successful. We don't want them to do things that will make us not like them. Um, right. But, you know, along the way, that's a hard process, right? You know, Proverbs talks about that. The, what, what does it say? It says the Lord loves those whom he disciplines just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. Right. And I love that kind of perspective. So like discipline is absolutely a great thing. You know, teaching is a great thing thing it's just really hard and it's really hard to switch sometimes from that teacher who's kind of like speaking the lesson to the one who's helping connect the dots that's a really great way of thinking about it thank you for that i think that's very helpful especially if we already have that safe relationship that we're building off of to begin mm -hmm. with yeah with those kids yeah yeah Okay, I want to talk for a minute about video gaming, if that's okay, because, you know, we talked last week with Jackie, a lot of that was about social media, because for girls, that's a big deal right now, like a big deal. Yeah, I think it is for guys too, but yeah. not as big of a deal maybe as it is for girls. But I would say video gaming, big time, big time for yeah. guys. Porn too, uh, that's a whole nother podcast. Maybe we'll come back and talk about that another day. But tell me, what is the draw with video games? And in what ways can parents set limits and help their teens set limits in that area and also develop other interests? Because it, it can be a time suck. Let's think yeah. about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's the right question to ask. What is the draw for my guy here? A lot of times uh, when we get into that, that the debate on video games, and I have had people who come into my office and they'll say, well, the issue is Fortnite or the issue is this video game, or the issue is X, Y, and Z, but it's video game based. And my first thought is, okay, and 
there's probably something else going on here, right? There's probably a deeper heart desire that that's going on here. Like um, Jackie probably hit on this uh, before, but guys and girls use technology, especially social media, any type of social technology into very different ways where guys tend to use social media to accomplish things or to get things. And, and I mean, accomplish things as in, I want my dopamine hit, or I want to, I want to build a giant tower in Minecraft with my friends. Right. Or I, I want to, I want to do it maybe is a way to think about it. Maybe not accomplishing. I want to do things with others. Um, whereas comparatively girls tend to use it as a way of uh, relating with others. How do I relate to other people in the midst of this? Um, maybe I, I don't want to say that they use it just to compare themselves to other people, but it, but it's like just checking myself. Where do I stand? Whereas guys, it's more like, uh, what do I do with other people here? Like, how can I accomplish like this, this task of like building a tower or, Hey, I have this idea. Let's like play this out. Um, and so I think for guys, what is this about? It usually comes down to, for me, it's like, well, are they getting online because they want to be social with friends? Like, is this about friends? Is this about uh, medicating their brain, right? Am I, are they just doing this to medicate a, a dopamine deficiency in their brain? And they've found video games as a way of doing that. Um, is it something that takes up their boredom? We haven't always spent all of our time in classrooms as as young men and women. And so previously we would be out working or in apprenticeships or things like that, right? And so I, I think that, that maybe guys' boredom can get in the way of I sit in the classroom all day and I learn and people talk to me. Now I want to do something, right? And here's the easiest way to do it. I press a button and I grab a controller, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. So, so is it, is it that uh, a lot of my guys with autism um, or, or trauma and depression will use video games as a way to control their environment. Like it's safe. I use Minecraft or, or my video games as um, an alternative universe to exist in, in which I control everything and where chaos can't enter in, right? Where, where the rules are set, and fast and I don't have to be flexible or I don't have to let other people's lives impact mine necessarily. And, and so it's, it's a coping skill for some people. Um, and there's actually entire therapies. Like, um, I actually took a course in Minecraft therapy this last year <laughs> and doing things like that. I haven't done it yet. I just thought it was interesting. So I did some research on it, but, but there's lots of things like that that are out there. So why are they doing it? And I, and I think, Really, I encourage parents to stop thinking about video games as absolutely negative, um, as if there's something inherently evil in all video games. Now, there are some video games that I'm just like, no, 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 like with that, we don't need that. Um, but, but I think that like if we can be open and curious about what it is that's really going on under the surface, like what is it that their heart is actually longing for. Um, then maybe we can find other alternatives for them besides video games to to meet those those deeper needs that are there, um, or to help create better boundaries on on those devices. Uh, you know, there's there's a, a bunch of stats that I throw out, or a bunch of like things that I throw out right off the bat, and maybe this is a good time for me to throw out some of those those thoughts and things here. But um, 
like smartphone usage, uh, there's, there's been a lot of research. It correlates with dissatisfying interpersonal happiness in relationships that if I spend time with my friends building a tower in Minecraft and laughing, right. And having a good time with them when I see them face to face and we're just going to talk, it's less satisfying. Right. And so I just, I'd rather just spend time online is what what can tend to happen. People use screens for amusement. I love that word amusement. When you break down it, uh, that word into the Latin, ah means not and muse means think. So you are literally not thinking, which correlates with what's going on in the brain. You're, you're turning off that upstairs brain, that thinking brain, and you're really only using your limbic system, which is taking in data and then impulsively reacting to it in those instances. And even there, when you're, when you're doing that, if you think about what happens when we do this for extended periods of time, well, you tend to respond less favorably to the world. When somebody asks you to get off, you're going to respond immediately. No, I don't want to get off. Stop it. You know, and research is showing now that like if, on average, if you spend two and a half hours or more on screens a day for amusement purposes, not for learning, but for amusement purposes, you're 50% more likely to be diagnosed with depression or anxiety. I believe that. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, that something is going on inside of the brain. So when I talk to the guys, I'm, I'm like, you know, video games aren't, aren't the devil. They aren't from the devil necessarily. But we should have boundaries on them. We should set up good things around those things, uh, around those video games that, that can be sometimes helpful. Like full disclosure, I still game. Like I still have some friends that I jump on with and and I'll jump on. I have like one or two games that I'll play, but I'll, I'll jump on those games and I just I end up talking with them. And we've had really, really great discussions uh, late at night playing video games where we've actually stopped the game and we've just talked and there have been times where we've had like so like we've been crying with each other just over some of the depths of life type stuff. Um, and then other times where we just cut up and we laugh the whole time. And it's so much fun. So, I mean, there's there's lots of things that are that are there. But the other thing that I would I would mention there is that parents that set healthy boundaries for themselves on their smartphones or on their, you know, their screen time. Um, and then they communicate the reasons why. So the parents communicate why they're doing this to their kids. Often the children will reflect that same type of behavior going forward. And you won't have the kids that play endlessly or you won't have the depression and anxiety rates going up. You know, and and it's just, you know, things like that. That it's like maybe, maybe uh I think as, as our pastor says out, I'd rather see a sermon than hear a sermon any day. I want to see that lived out. And I guess kind of as an example of that, you know, one way I do that is for myself, I don't jump on games unless all of my like home responsibilities are taken care of. Um, I've gotten all my work done, all that stuff. And if I have time, uh, I'll jump on that. But it's like I set those things for myself and then I set a screen time, especially like on my phone and I compete against myself because my phone keeps track of how much time I spend on it. And I try to always push down that time from the week before and say, oh, yeah, last week, you know, I did two hours last week. Can I get 10 percent less this week or can I get five percent and just kind of competing against myself like that? So that's really good. That's really helpful. The things that I picked up out of that specifically were. Make sure that the connection 
is the connection is more important than the screen time. So if that's one of the ways that they're connecting, that's great. Mm -hmm. Make sure though, that they're also able to connect in other ways and figure out what the underlying issue is for them. Is it because they're bored and they don't have other things to do? Is it because they're able to use their creativity there? Like figure out what what are those underlying draws? Mm -hmm. That's good and helpful. Thank you. Okay. Last question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, I want to talk about spiritual develop, spiritual development for a second. What are some of the ways, I think you've a little bit covered it already, but parents or others, mentors, youth pastors, pastors, teachers, grandparents, how can we come alongside and help teens in their spiritual development? Yeah, I'm a big metaphor guy, if you haven't already figured that out. Um but one of the metaphors I was given, I kind of mentioned it earlier by this guy named James A.K. Smith in his book, Desiring the Kingdom of God and You Are What You Love. Um, he talks about humans not as like brains on a stick, but hearts that are like a compass, kind of like the Pirates of the Caribbean one. If you've ever seen that movie where Johnny Depp, um, you know, Jack Sparrow, he's got this compass and it points towards whatever he wants. And, and they talk about, he talks about that in his book. And, and I think it's a great metaphor of, um, of what's going on in the teenage years and how, how we can really help those guys. What we're really trying to do is we're helping to calibrate their heart compass to point towards a kingdom that lasts forever, that is ruled by a good king who loves us and cares about us. Right. And, and so we're trying to help calibrate that. And that's the question that I'm kind of always asking of my clients and their parents. Like, how are we calibrating this heart compass? Like, this isn't like as much as I love neuroscience in the brain, right, there's something deeper than that that's going on here. And how can we do that? And and Smith would argue that what we do, he calls them our daily liturgies, that the liturgies of life actually shape so when we're worshiping God, we're being calibrated. When we go about our lives talking to our friends, we're being calibrated. When we go into the mall, which he calls modern day temple, um, <laughs> I think that's a cool picture of it. Um, you know, our secular temple, I guess is what we call it. Uh, you know, we're, cal- we're being calibrated all these places. And so I think about this um, for, for my young guys and, and families that I'm working with is how are we calibrating? this compass to point towards something and and honestly i think part of it is taking on a stance of openness and curiosity towards these teens they are people too right they they enjoy being treated like people like they have thoughts and they have opinions and that they're working through stuff um and that they're failing along the way or maybe having setbacks right and so Asking them deep questions about life, I think is a, is a very just, and maybe even simple questions about life. I'll use a, a little anecdote here. Um, uh, when I was like first starting off before I was ever licensed, I, I met with this family and uh, mom, dad, and junior walk into my office and I look down at junior's feet and he's got these Nikes on. And so I look at him, and I was like, okay, so are you a LeBron guy or are you a Jordan guy? And we talked for 15 minutes about basketball. We just talked. And that was it until mom said, okay, well, we're really here because X, Y, and Z. And we finish up that, you know, that conversation with them. And dad pulls me aside before they leave. And he says, uh, Taylor, how did you do that? 
And I looked at, I must have been like confused, given the look. And like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. And he says, You just talk to my son more than I'll talk to him in the entire week. And I just said, I, I just talked about what he loves. And what was really interesting, the next week, we met the next week, and family dynamic was changed when they came into the room that we were in. And I said, What's, what, what changed? And dad said, I watched ESPN every night this last week with my son. And we talked more in this last week than we have in in like an entire month and that that to me is is part of what this is about is you're teaching them how to pursue their loves with other people and how to connect with other people along the way and he's like yeah we had conflict and we had fights and we disagreed on stuff and i still think jordan's better but you know (laughs) but they were able to have those conversations and so for me, creating those connecting moments, that's when you have that ability to recalibrate the compass. You're not just you're, you're not just teaching them to behave. You're teaching them to relate. You're teaching them to pursue meaning and value, to be open and curious themselves, right? To, to ask good questions, to be aware of what's going on inside of themselves and what that they are changing and that they do have these, these struggles that'll go on in life. And Hey, you're pursuing video games a lot. I noticed that. I wonder. I wonder what that could be about. You know, I wonder. You know, how we could. You know, think about. Wow, you're spending six, five, six hours a day on games, huh? I wonder what that's calibrating your compass towards. You know, and having kind of those those unified vocabularies and things like that. So, um, so in terms of spiritual growth, I, I know maybe I'm talking around it, but I hope that that's kind of the focus, maybe the, the focus of that spiritual growth, how I empower people is treat those young guys like compasses, help to nudge them in the right direction, let them do the turning and the calibrating themselves and all that stuff, but be open and curious, ask them good questions, treat them like people, find what they love and go after it. Mm-hmm. Basically what you're saying is they're worthy of being seen and pursued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what yeah. that's basically what you just said is like you were pursuing that kid because you cared about what he cared about. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes in the busyness of life, like with all the pickups and drop offs and arguments mm-hmm. and cell phone fights and wh- whatever else is going on, trying to navigate all the different schedules, we forget that like our kid needs to be seen. Sometimes they don't act like they want to be seen, but they they do. (laughs) It's really important to find those moments when we can connect and we can talk about what's important to them, not just to us. Yeah. 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 I I would a hundred percent agree with that. They got to see them. They want to be seen. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I wonder, is there anything you didn't get a chance to say that you wanted to say on the podcast? Um, I think, no, I, well, okay, yes, and there is one. The only thing that I that I would kind of just use is um, I like this metaphor because it seems to stick with people sometimes. Um, I, I often paint this picture to people and I say, you know, when we're starting a relationship with somebody, um, we begin to paint a picture in our mind of who it is that we're relating to. And we do the same thing with the people that we love that we're already in a relationship with and, and even with our teenage guys. What happens is along the way, we start to, you know, we develop this picture in our mind. We do all these brush strokes and we come up with this picture of who we think our teenage guy is or who this other person we love is. 
And unfortunately, at some point, we'll confuse the picture in our mind for the person that we're actually relating to. And we'll stop being curious as to what it is they actually really love and what makes them themselves. And instead of seeing them as an ongoing masterpiece that's being made, we begin to confuse this image in our head. It's final. And I don't like this thing about that. I don't like the coloring over here. I don't like this and I don't like that. And we get so frustrated with this picture in our head and we stop being curious with the person out there that we end up hurting that relationship with them. And we say, well, if that's who that person is, is this person in my head? I don't know that I want that relationship with them anymore. Um, And and I say that to both the kid and to the parent. And and I'll say, I want to make sure that when we start off this process, we're going to rip up those pictures or we're at least going to acknowledge that we're still painting. Mm-hmm. Right. And let's start to be open and curious about each other, because maybe, like you said, maybe that's where we actually get seen. You know, we're not just mistaken. You're not just observing me or, you know, you're not just looking at that picture in your head. You're actually truly trying to figure out and see who I am. You're asking those genuinely curious questions to do that. So uh, that, would, that would just be the only other thing that I would throw out there is, is something is a, you know, a metaphor I found helpful. I really love that. I love that. I love that for teens and parents, but I feel like that could be true for a lot of relationships, including marriage, right? Yeah. You're married absolutely. for many years. You change a lot along the way, right? So yeah. yeah. That's a good word. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been really fun. I think this is going to be really helpful. Yeah. Thank you, Jenny, for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again, Taylor, for being on today's podcast episode. I think you brought really helpful perspective and applicable wisdom to take into our relationships with our teen guys. Friends, if this week or last week's episode resonated with you, I would love to hear about it. You can comment under today's show notes on the website, pauserenewnext.com, or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at pauserenewnext. If you're not already following me there, I would love for you to join the Pause Renew Next community. If you enjoy this podcast, please do me a favor and go onto iTunes or your favorite podcasting app and leave PRN a good rating and review. Ratings and reviews make it easier for new people to find this podcast. And even better than that, please share by word of mouth. That is my favorite way to share. Well, we'll be back next week with a reflection episode continuing our conversation about building resilience. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.